Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's about trying to affect the change I want to see. And in a lot of ways, there are things that bother me about the world. And I kind of feel like I can't complain about them unless I'm doing what I can to try to alleviate them. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're talking about giving away our money. Yeah, giving it all away. Mm. (laughs) Finding causes that we're truly passionate about and supporting them not only with our voices and our time, but our cold, hard cash. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about my personal goals. And I've decided the goal of becoming a young millionaire pales in comparison to being a generous giver. But I'm a long way from it. And uh, that's why today I've invited someone on the show who's going to inspire me and inspire you to go from a closed fist to an open hand. (laughs) Allison Cade is our guest today, and she's the editorial director of Fabric, where she's building an online publication to help families with their personal finances. Allison's financial writing has been featured in Bloomberg, Forbes, Business Insider, and many other top publications. For the past seven years... Allison has consistently given away 10% of her income to her favorite charities. I was so inspired by this that I had to invite her on the show to learn more. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. So, Allison, did you did you grow up in a household of givers? How did this uh, 10% giving lifestyle begin? So, I, I did. To, I mean, not a strict 10%, but in... The way that I grew up, my parents always gave to charity and made it known that that's something that we do and always encouraged it as a child. And we had a a box for change, essentially, that will then go to charity is the understanding. So, you know, find a quarter on the street, put it in the box kind of a thing. Um, and really, I kind of got the 10% number from religious sources. So I don't give my money these days, at least to religious causes for the most part. But I sort of plucked the number from the Bible as as a reference point, really, more than anything else. Because if it's been doable by so many people for centuries or millennia, like, okay, I pr- probably I could do that too. Uh, so I think that that's probably where the number first lodged itself in my mind. So... Allison, when you were growing up and you guys were putting the coins in the jar, like who, who did your parents, who do, who was inspiring your parents uh, at that time um, for, for them to give their money away? What charities were inspiring them or what causes were inspiring them? So I think that most of my dad's giving went primarily to Jewish causes, uh, whether like various federation sort of organizations um, or specific people that he knew and wanted to support. I think that my mom gave primarily to more political causes, particularly on the pro-choice end of the spectrum. Um, 
but they really encouraged me to find my own way. So one of the things that I've always been really passionate and frankly, super stressed out about for basically my entire life is climate change. Uh, not least because I grew up in Miami and I would have these apocalyptic visions of my entire city sinking under the water. And if you had asked me at age six, I would have told you I was extraordinarily stressed out about this. So by high school, I was giving to the Sierra Club and I hadn't independently heard of the Sierra Club. It's because my parents knew I liked the environment and they heard of it. So they were like, why don't you give there? And I think my parents might've given a little money to them too. So certainly I think that the ethos was less give to where we give, but more give, here's what we like, but Sierra club for you. Hmm. So those conversations at an, at an early time in your life about money and about giving, Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a pretty open home with regard to money. Is that right? Yes, I would say so. I mean, realistically, more so than the average American home, just based on my works, talking to readers and writing about personal finance for a decade at this point, it's become clear to me that my parents are on the pretty open, transparent end of the spectrum when it comes to money and not weird or shy around it with children. So they would give me an allowance at a young age and expect me to budget it pretty much by myself. They, I mean, there's a lot of stories that that I could share about my parents sort of really encouraging this sort of hyper responsibility. But there was a lot of this concept of taking ownership over one's own actions and not at all squeamishness around money. I mean, even like I, they opened my first checking help for me when I was 12 and they had to, I remember being at the bank and I'm this 12 year old weirded out. And my dad's like negotiating with this little local bank teller being like, yeah, I mean, I'm the co-signer. So certainly probably not a typical upbringing around money, but one that I'm very grateful for. And that made this conversation about giving not stigmatized because we're also not being weird about what we're making and how we're budgeting either. Excellent. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, a great way to raise your children to have that open communication really with any topic. You know, we're talking about money today and giving, but being open to communicate about other things, you know, where you're passionate about. It sounds like they shared a lot of that with you and obviously gave you the free reign to, you know, choose which causes you're interested in. So, you know, kudos Uh. to your parents there on that. So as you, as you got into your first full-time job (laughs) and you started to make your own money, um, did you start off giving that 10% right away? So I, I didn't. So it had always been a goal and I can't, quite say since when it was a goal of mine to give 10%, perhaps some point in childhood when I had read that 10% thing. And I was like, I guess that's aspirational. Um, But out of college, also in the middle of the recession, I was making not a huge income living in New York City. And I was like, well, (laughs) I can't do 10%. So the compromise that I settled on for myself was 10% of my disposable income, which I defined really as income after expenses I can't live without, but before fun stuff. So I would take my income, obviously subtract taxes, subtract rent, subtract internet and electricity, subtract some basic amount for, you know, non-crazy groceries, subtract healthcare, but not subtract partying with my friends, right? You know, not subtract Amazon. Um, And so then of that remaining chunk, I gave 10%. And that sort of felt like a comfortable compromise to me at that point. I do, I I don't remember quite clearly, but I think that I got a bonus for my first job. It was a tiny bonus. It was, you know, it was like a thousand dollars, but I was like, wow, 
what a lump sum check. And I think I might have given 10% of that specific bonus because it was this sort of extra and, and I already kind of knew how to live off of my non-bonus income. But for the most part, I was really just giving 10% of what felt sort of, even if it doesn't always feel expendable, what really is expendable. What was the what was the turning point then from the 10% disposable to 10% in totality? So, by the way, clearly I'm going to be sharing this podcast with my parents who are going to be really flattered. And also, given what I'm about to say, with my husband. So when I was dating my husband before we were married, I met this guy and he had always given 10%. And it was just perfectly obvious that this is what one does. And I was like, oh... Well, <laughs> I thought I was generous, but oh, crap. So it was this sort of like he did it and wasn't a thing. He's just like, well, it's the thing I do. It's just you do it. It was like, oh, well, I mean, I, I think I'm poor. But actually, you know, it's been a couple years in the workforce and I'm not rich, but I'm not eating trash. Like, I'm living. So, okay. So I started doing it. And it was really scary at first, certainly, because just the sheer numbers can be intimidating. I mean, even if you make $20,000 per year after tax, well, 10% of that is $2,000. That's, that's, that's a lot of thousands. That's, that's really scary. And if you make more than $20,000, those are many dollars to give. And so it was certainly really intimidating at first just to even think in such sums, especially since I think a lot of our society trains us to think in small little bits, like my friend's running a marathon and fundraising for whatever. So I, I gave him 50 bucks. I could have given 25, but maybe I even gave him a hundred. Whoa. And that's a very different mentality from I'm going to give $5,000 this year, right? It's, it's a very different feeling. And also one that I think begets more long-term planning. So it's less this ad hoc. Yeah, I guess I'll give to your walkathon and more of an intentional, what matters to me? What charities do I really want to dig in on and explore and, and invest in really? So, so what did you do to make that shift? Cause I mean, obviously that's a, a big amount of money from 10% of your disposable income to 10% of your entire income. What are, mm -hmm. did you just all of a sudden one day say, okay, I'm flipping the switch and I've done it. Like how, how did you, how did you change your <laughs> spending in order to make that a, a feasible thing for you? So, I mean, not to sound like a jerk, but kind of like it really was more just, OK, I'm doing this like it, it wasn't it, it was a little bit binary. I think for me, at least psychologically, in terms of spending, I've always been a compulsive is too too hard. Word. I'm not a compulsive saver, but I'm a strong saver, shall we say. So the truth is that I'm still still able to save. I mean, I, like I, I didn't have to make significant compromises in my life in order to be able to do that as I just needed to be conscious of it. But it's not like I had to go from eating, you know, whole foods, hot plates to Goya beans every single meal. Like I, I didn't have to make wild lifestyle changes to do so. And I think that that's for a lot of reasons that I need to be grateful for. So first and foremost, the fact that I have a job that pays pretty well, you know, that, and, and I have done so for basically my entire career. So certainly, yeah, I was making 30 something dollars out of college when I was giving my disposable income away. But also the important thing to remember is that percentages are a percent. So 10% of $30,000 is a lot less than 10% of $200,000. So it's proportional. Uh, so it, it wasn't, 
that tremendous, I think, once I just sort of decided I'm doing this. But I also need to acknowledge the fact that I don't have debt, which is really tremendous. Uh, And I'm hugely grateful to my parents for that. And I'm also both for them enabling me to not have student loan debt and also for them teaching me not to get into credit card debt. And that's huge. And the game would be totally different if I were in a different financial situation. So I'm not... I would never want to give this sort of holier than thou impression like, well, everyone should do it. And if you're not doing it, you suck. Like that's not fair because everyone comes from different places and has different financial situations. But it was something that I was able to do. And I think that the main mentality shift that I think I would like to see among my friends and peers is the acknowledgement that you're able to, because I think there's this sort of bias that you're poor, even past the point when you're really not poor. Mm-hmm. Just even looking at, at American averages, you know, I, I certainly have friends who, let's say, are making $30,000 out of college and like, oh, I'm a scrappy college kid. I'm going to get free food. Great. Okay. But a few years down the road, they still sort of talk that way, but maybe they're making $60,000. Maybe they're making $70,000. Now that's not a millionaire. I mean, I'm not pretending that you're going to, you know, go buy a Lamborghini, but you're also presumably if you're if you're able to budget and save and take care of your necessities, neither are you, you know, dying of starvation and you might be able to give 10% of that. Absolutely. Well, you, you you've chosen to you've chosen to do that obviously, you know, intentionally, but you you also used the word earlier of calling this goal aspirational. So some people mm-hmm. aren't called to giving, you know, <laughs> and, and feeling, hey, that's an aspirational thing. They would almost think that's like a, you know, something where I'm going to have less. But you see it as, this is a great thing. I aspire to do this. Why do you see this as an aspirational aspect of your financial goals? So to be clear, I actually think I am not a generous person by nature. Like, really. So I more than my sister, more than some other kids, I would definitely be the child who cried kind of hysterically if you tried to take a bite of her ice cream. Even now, you know, it doesn't come naturally to me to give away things that I want. So I'll do a thing since I live in New York and I tend to see a lot of homeless people on a regular basis. I'll buy Nutri-Grain bars and kind of walk around with them in my purse. And then when people ask for money, I'll, I'll give a Nutri-Grain bar and I get to feel good and they get to feel good. But the truth is I'm I'm gluten-free. I don't really, I don't really want to eat that Nutri-Grain bar. And sometimes I have my really expensive gluten-free bars and I don't want to give those. I mean, it doesn't, it's, so it's not like I have this urge to give away the things that I really love and want, you know, it's something that I've had to kind of plan into myself and make it just, here's the plan. And now I'm executing it versus every time. If I thought, God, I love this expensive $3 preposterously priced macrobiotic, whatever expensive gluten-free situation, let me give it away. Like, no, that's mine. Back off. Like my husband tries to eat them and I like throw a fit. Like, you know, so all of which to say, I don't think it, it necessarily has to come naturally to you because it it doesn't to me. It's something that I've planned. And when I talk about this aspirational feeling, part of what's been, dare I say, even a little bit fun about this adventure is being able to shift that mentality. Because if you have 
however much that you're going to spend per week. And now your friend is walking a walkathon and they want you to give them a whole hundred dollars. Well, that's kind of a lot. Like, okay, it's a walkathon, whatever. Like a hundred bucks. Like that's the number of meals that I could eat. And like, you know, how many bottles of wine is that? And how many toys for my baby is that? Like, come on, it's kind of a lot. Because then you're subtracting it from your actual life. But if I tell you, you are going to give away however many thousands of dollars this year, period. Like put it in a separate account. I don't, I don't care where you give it. You're giving it away. Suddenly it's not part of that. It's not, Oh, do I like you enough to take away from myself? It's like, no, you're giving it away. Period. Done. Decision made. Now, where do you want to give it? And then I think that that shifts the conversation from, Oh, should I get rid of this to, okay, I'm giving it away regardless, but now I'm this magnanimous benefactress. You know, I, I feel like, you know, a rich heiress who is like, oh, if you, if you're nice to me, I'm going to write you a $2,000 check. Here you go. Invite me to your gala. It's just like, it's this fun mentality shift that I think has also made it easier for me so that I don't have to keep making these micro decisions that make me feel deprived. I made one big decision. And now it's a, just a question of where. And you put some automation around it too. So it wasn't something you had to make a decision on that month. It was something you had planned ahead of time. So it was it was thought about almost like investing or paying exactly. off debt or something like that. You put that as part of your financial plan as opposed to exactly. reacting. Exactly. So let, let, let's talk about the, I really like this analogy of the, of the give the 50 to 100 bucks to your friend who's doing the race versus choosing the causes that you're excited about. So how did you decide what causes you were excited about? What, what, what sort of soul searching process did you go in and say, Hey, I don't want to just react to when I get an email from somebody and I'll give them a, I'll give them 50 bucks to, I've found the organizations that I have passion around and I have financially made my plan around how I can support them in a fun way. And then I get to be a part of it and go to the gala. Like I'm a member of, of, <laughs> their, of their team. I've, I've never been to the gala. Oh, okay. You're I still really waiting for the go. gala invitation. No, okay. I've gotten an invite and then I, I've never been because admittedly. So I, I'm like, Oh, I'm donating so much money. And then they invite you to the gala and it's like a lot of hundreds of bucks. And I'm like, it's oh, a lot of money for a gala. <laughs> and then but I, I need to like switch it. It's like, wait, no, this is, this is your shining moment. Is, and also it's, it's also charity, but I'm like, no, but there's the cost of the food. Maybe I should just give them that amount. Right. But no, I, I anyway, I want to go to a gala. That's kind of why I'm in this game. You know? Perfect. All right. It's all about the galas, <laughs> yeah. everybody. It's about the galas. It's yeah. a hashtag galas. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so how did you go about finding the organizations that you were passionate about? That's my question. Yeah. So the truth is that I kind of started, well, okay, a couple of things. First, I started by thinking about the causes that I care about. So I have a few issues that matter to me. And then I narrowed in on the charities or organizations that can work towards the change I want to see. So as I mentioned previously, one of the biggest issues that I care about is the environment. Okay, so that's one bucket. Another issue is homelessness in general, but especially, I don't even know that it's a core issue, like, oh, of all the things in the world that I care about so much as the fact that I'm walking along the street. And I remember one day that was a turning point for me when I was working downtown. I counted 11 homeless people on my way home from work. That wasn't even round trip. That was one way. And yeah, like I'll, I'll give them major grain bars, but I, I would like to be able to do something more meaningful for this population so I don't just feel like a jerk either avoiding eye contact or making eye contact. That's a nice thing. Or like I gave you a neutral grain bar, but that's, 
more so that I can say, hey, I've seen you and I'm not ignoring you, but I'm not pretending that my Nutri-Grain bar is going to change your life. So looking at organizations that can do that, frankly, so I can feel less guilty as I see a million homeless people every day. Um, those are the primary two. For a while, I was giving a bit to partners in health. So I can talk a little bit. I, I've been on the fence and I've yo-yoed a little bit over the years around this idea of effective altruism, which basically talks about giving money in a way that it does the most good. Hmm. And I find it intriguing because I like the idea of my dollars going as far as they can go to help as many people as they can help. But I also have not embraced it absolutely 100% because sometimes it can feel a little bit cold to me, like a little bit borderline too methodical. So there are a couple of really compelling resources that I can share you know, towards the end if you'd like, and, and, and organizations that work around this that make suggestions even. There's one called GiveWell that makes suggestions on charities that they think you should promote or that you should support that just do the most good with the fewest dollars. And it often tends to be things like buying malaria, buying mosquito nets to prevent malaria because it's a very cheap intervention that can save lives. Or it, there's a lot of rhetoric around that. So I've, I've dabbled in giving in those sorts of ways and I'm still intrigued by it and sometimes do. But also... I don't always just want to give mosquito nets. So so I, I've kind of yo-yoed a little bit in those capacities, but the primary places that I give these days, so I guess I have these big issues that I care about, right? So let's say one bucket is the environment, one is homelessness, and one is this sort of effective altruism sort of world. And then within that, I, at various times in the past, have done various degrees of research. And I think an important thing to say is if you want to go down the rabbit hole and really know who is the absolute best, do it. But also, you don't need to spend a million hours researching and, and then just have decision fatigue and get paralyzed and never do this. So when I started, I gave to the Sierra Club. It's what I was doing in high school, right? Over time, I was like, okay, they're good, but... I don't, instead of their approach, I prefer the approach of the NRDC. So now I give more to the NRDC. You know, over time, I've given some to Earth Justice, which basically is using legal stuff in order to change legislation or whatever around the environment. Okay, great. So it's just different approaches, but I've changed over the years. And also I can, I can give to all three, right? So I can sort of just play with my proportions as I feel, which is really nice. And then on the homelessness side, I primarily give to City Harvest. So probably the largest percentage to any one organization that I give is to City Harvest. Um, and then uh, again, with the effective altruism, I've dabbled. I don't know. But really, partially, it's word of mouth. I don't remember how I first heard of City Harvest, but they're a big presence in New York. I feel like a lot of people have heard of them. They do great things. I gave for a while to Partners in Health, in part because my best friend was moving to Haiti for a year for a fellowship, and she was super into them. And then she ended up working for them. And I was like, yeah, but for real, are they good? And she was like, yeah, they're good. Okay. So, so it doesn't always have to be a perfect science. Mm -hmm. If you do want to make it more of a science and, and be a little bit more methodical about it, there are plenty of resources that can help you dig into a specific charity, whether that is Charity Navigator and some other resources that let you see things like how financially transparent is this organization and how much of its expenses go towards fundraising versus whatever. So there's ways you can dig in, but also if there are organizations that you know are legit and you like them, it could also just be that simple. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. 
They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Thanks for considering our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into our show. So you said you're married. I am. So finances uh, together. Obviously, you guys are, um, you know, you are. are, are do, you, do you share finances? I guess we'll, I'll ask that question. Do you guys share your, um, do you um, combine your finances? That's my question. Sorry. So we do combine our finances, yep. but we don't 100% combine our charitable giving. That's what I wanted to ask you. So yeah. how did you guys come together with the things that you're really passionate about and the things that he's passionate about with your charitable giving? So... The easiest way, really, is we just give percentages of our own income, and we just kind of track our own income. And it's like, I'm responsible for making sure that it adds up to 10% of my stuff, and I just give it. That way, I don't have to talk to him. And then if I want to write a big check to City Harvest, but it's within my little budget, just I'm just going to do it, and I don't need to check with him. Like, it's my side. And then on his side, I know which organizations he likes to give to, um, and, I, and some of them have overlap. I mean, for a while, it was super weird. Like, I had some weird number. I don't even remember why I was like, I was giving like 13 or some weird dollars a month to city harvest. And he was giving like 58. It was super weird. And finally I was like, guys, you could just combine this. We, we are married. So, <laughs> so there's certainly overlap in our areas of interest, right? I'm giving mostly to city harvest, whereas he's giving to Maspia, which is a different homeless organization in New York. Like we're obviously pretty aligned, even if a lot of the details vary, although he tends to prefer direct giving a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm meaning that he will know people who are in financial need, who are in his life. And sometimes he will give to them. I'm open to the idea, but the truth is it makes me a little uncomfortable because, I don't know, something about me wants like an administrator and a, and a charity navigator. And, you know, for Bob, there's no charity. It's just Bob, you know. Sure. So, so that makes me a little bit weirder. But the truth is it's his side. So it's really nice to be able to just be like, he has control. Like it's, I'm cool with it. Like it's his, it's his decision to make. And it's nice to be able to relinquish and then each be able to give where we most feel is appropriate. And we're mostly aligned on the amounts. Truth be told, his proclivities are to give even more than me. And recently, like now in truth, he's probably giving closer to 20% of his income, uh, primarily because there are certain situations in our life and family members, whomever who need support. And so it's interesting 
and a little weird to be like, oh, my family member is part of my charity budget, but also it's good because then you don't have to feel bad about scaling back your city harvest donation because it's charity still, and it's all part of the same budget. And that means that if there is a family member who needs us to support that person, and then instead of absolutely freaking out, you're like, well, you know what? I, I kind of have a budget for this. So that's, so that's been interesting. So his, his is actually a bit higher. So mine is still roughly 10%, but his is actually skewing more. So all, all told, I don't know what our precise percentage is as a couple, but it's probably somewhere in the teens. But well, Allison, you used my favorite word, budget. So um, we're <laughs> we're we're fast friends. <laughs> so, uh, question for you. So <laughs> you mentioned, I think you mentioned maybe it's a little bit of both. Is there some automatic giving that goes along with your giving? Is it a lump something? Is mm-hmm. it a combination? How do you do it? So I can tell you, my husband primarily gives automatically every month. I can also tell you from my knowledge of charitable stuff, you should probably do that. Charities like it way more because then they can budget for the year. So tip to the audience, give monthly, but real talk, I don't give that much monthly because maybe it is that sort of ego trip of feeling like this benefactor is writing a big check, but I don't. And also I like to be a little bit more ruled by whims. And so I basically have my pillars that I know I'm going to give, right? I know I'm going to give a significant amount to A, B, and C, but then I do leave room for some of that impulse giving, if you will. So whether that is a friend's walkathon or I don't know, something happens and I'm like, let me give to the ACLU or whatever it is. I like having that leeway, right? You know, I hear that someone is doing something really important on Kickstarter or whatever it is. I like being able to feel like it's an impulse buy. And weirdly, even though I'm giving away money, I think I get some of the same joy that other people might get from impulse shopping, except that I'm not actually getting anything in return. But, you know, it means I actually was really impressed. So one of my friends just got married and didn't have a registry. The entire registry was two regist- was two charities. And it was like, choose which one you want to give to, but give to one of these two as a gift. So I chose the one that I preferred. And I gave more than I normally would have given for a wedding gift. But again, it's charity. And, you know, I got a charitable budget. Let's go for it. So it's, I kind of like this attitude personally being like, yeah, here. And I don't, I, I don't know that that's everyone's mentality. I mean, certainly my husband is not that way. He likes to actually have a budget and know how much he's giving every month. Whereas I think that I, I get a little more carried away and have fun with it. But I think that all approaches are legitimate. Though, again, charities definitely prefer my husband over me because he's monthly reliable. Well, I have two questions out of that then. So you said you like to be able to do it when you feel like it. So I mm-hmm. would say that that might be restrictive for some people, though, if they weren't planning for it. So how do you oh. plan that you have that money when you want to give it? Okay, good question. So I am saving it. Okay. So I'm saving it regularly, but giving it irregularly. And also, so I do have a couple monthly recurring donations. So specifically, how do you do that? You put it in a separate account or is that in your checking account? How do you do that? So it became more formalized, particularly when I was working at a large corporation that had a charitable a charitable match, which was really nice. But they had all these Byzantine rules about like I had to give it on a certain month and then budget it for the year. It was very complicated. So due to this ridiculous complication, I couldn't give it in real time. So I had to like wait and give it all in one month. It was very weird. So I started having it just be a certain, I calculated whatever 10% was of that paycheck. And I was having that amount automatically be withdrawn into a savings account. And then at that time I gave it. 
And so even now I have some monthly stuff. And when I'm doing this irregular giving, I'm certainly doing a reckoning towards the end of the year where I'm giving ad hoc throughout the year, but soon, I mean, I guess it's already November. I'm going to be looking at this and say, okay. And so I, I have my little spreadsheet that says predicted monthly income. It has my little formula that does math. So predicted monthly giving goal. And then I have a list of where I've given. So then it says actual giving and it's just, you know, Excel is summing it up, subtracts. This is how much you have to give. Go find a place to give this money. And that time of year is kind of coming up. So, and I've been giving throughout. So I, I kind of have a sense of where that is at any given time. So, you know, I'm more or less on track. So is the, giving, but. the glorious benefactor going to be writing a check anytime soon to whoever? <laughs> You're I mean, waiting for that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably it'll be City Harvest. But yeah, I mean, I... I, I tend to try to pace myself also because I know that as much as charities, A, prefer monthly donors, sorry, um, I'm, I'm, I'm monthly in some places, um, and B, they get a huge deluge around the holidays, which I know is great for them, but also clearly they need some costs when it's not the holidays. Right. I, I will sometimes, you know, I'll be like, man, I saw a lot of people today who are homeless, so I'm going to give today in April, right? So, like, uh, it's... I kind of do it as the mood strikes, which sounds preposterous about giving thousands of dollars. But when you have a budget that says I must give this amount, you can just be like, well, I really care about the environment today. Here you go. Like, and it's kind of fun, I think. I like how you have fun with it. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that because some people get a lot of joy about buying stuff mm -hmm. or, or, or buying experiences. Why should they consider giving away their money instead? You, you sound like you're having a lot of fun with it. So let's inspire people about why it's fun. <laughs> okay. Why should they do so, this? I mean, I think for me, well, first of all, my husband and I both tend to get a little bit stressed out buying stuff because we're a little bit on the... I think it's a little excessive sometimes, but we're always like, oh, no, our house will be too full of the things. So we buy stuff, but it's always this like, oh, no, I need it. But should I? But I might. So anyway, buying stuff is a whole can of worms. I do really like experiences, but in a weird way, this is sort of an experience. And truth be told, we're talking about it from a me-centered perspective, right? What, what do I get? But obviously, it's not just about me. It's about trying to affect the change I want to see. And in a lot of ways, there are things that bother me about the world. And I kind of feel like I can't complain about them unless I'm doing what I can to try to alleviate them. I so that makes trying sense. to do. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can vote, we can use our voices, we can, yeah. you know, volunteer our time, but money really helps. <laughs> Especially if you have something you're passionate around, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of think of it in a lot of ways like voting. Yeah. So, okay. So there's somebody listening right now who is not nearly giving 10% of their income, <laughs> but they're digging what you're talking about. They like this, uh, you know, experience that you'd get from <laughs> it. the affecting change where they have passion around a cause. So how could they, what advice would you give for them to, to ladder up to that 10%? Well, more than anything, just start. So I, I think a few things. First, assess your own financial situation, right? So if you are deep in debt and have no disposable income and you're struggling to make ends meet, I'm a big proponent of you do need to take care of yourself first. Because if you don't, not to be rude about it, but then you could be the person next who needs the charity. Like you need to make sure that you're financially solvent. So I think that that's kind of step one. So I would say start by assessing what you have, what you make, what you spend and how much wiggle room is there. And when, and I, I would add to the, what you spend, any credit payments that you're making, 
so that will reduce your disposable income. And then I think that from there, if you are not ready to kind of go, you know, full force into it, maybe start by doing what I did when I was fresh out of college, where you're giving 10% of your disposable income. And if you have a lot of debt, that might not be a lot of disposable income, but that's okay. Still just give 10% of it. And then as you pay down your debt and that margin increases, so would the raw number because percents. I love it. Okay. So there is, um, there's also somebody listening that's saying, okay, I, I don't, I don't know who I want to give to where I, I've mm-hmm. just been given to my girlfriend who does the race or my, <laughs> my, uh, my coworker who comes and gives me the cookie form for the, for the girl scouts. That's kind of all I've been doing. Like, but I, but I really want to, I really want to give to where I'm passionate. Where, where should they start? So there are a few resources and let me, so let me pull up actually some information that I got in preparation for today's podcast. So one of the things that I had done a couple years ago that I very thoroughly enjoyed was I took a MOOC, which is, I don't know if you're familiar, it's one of these massive online I don't know what the other O stands for, course. So there are a lot of companies that do these like Coursera and edX, but basically I don't know if all of them are free. A lot are. A lot of them are university sponsored. And essentially it's ways that you can do continuing education online. And there are various levels of seriousness. Some have serious homework and are hardcore. Others are more casual. But a couple of years ago, I took one of these courses through an organization that was sponsored by Warren Buffett. And I did it primarily to write an article about it, but I actually really enjoyed it. And so today, before this podcast, I was looking for it to see if I could recommend it. And it looks like it is now offline and they're not currently offering it. But I reached out to someone. So the organization is Learning by Giving. And they sent me some alternative resources. So there's a local event that they're doing in Fenway Park, but I feel like that's very specific. But they are planning to launch an app in early 2019 called Learn Give. And it sounds like that will also have curriculum and tools. My impression of this organization is they are trying to get philanthropy into actual curriculum land in schools. And so some of the topics that the course covered, there was a day when it was like, figure out what you're passionate about, figure out the kinds of giving, how to do appropriate research. Mm. Through that, one of the assignments that they gave me was go find the annual report of this charity that you're interested in and read it. And one of the charities I was giving to, I couldn't find the annual report. And I reached out to them and they didn't reply. I reached out to them again. They didn't reply. I stopped giving to them because I don't know if it's being well managed. I mean, guys, like the truth is that if they'd gotten back to me, they could have been the city harvest that I gave a bunch of money to. And instead, they seemed janky. So I stopped giving to them. So it was really interesting. So they kind of take you through the different things. They talk about this idea of overhead. So a lot of people want to try to find charities that don't spend too much on operational expenses. That way more of it goes to the people they're trying to benefit. And that's good, but also isn't everything. Cause at a certain point, a charity does need to run itself. And if you're trying to get a charity that is the most bare bones in the world, that doesn't actually necessarily mean that you're finding the best charity just because you're finding a place that like pays its people really low to keep mm-hmm. expenses down. So it, it kind of takes you through some of these thought processes. So I haven't seen this app, but hopefully it's good, in which case that might be an interesting resource. Uh, if you're interested in this effective altruism idea, a book that is interesting is by Peter Singer, and it's called The Life You Can Save. So that's another potentially interesting resource. But more than any, I mean, you can also just go on things like Charity Navigator and just start looking things up and learning and seeing and talk to your friends and 
see where they give. Not that you should copy them, but then see where they give. Look it up on Charity Navigator, assess for yourself. But I think it really needs to start from a place of what you care about. So a little bit less of this reactive, you ran a race kind of a thing, and a little bit more, I care about X, therefore I will Y. I love it. I love it. So you are a debt-free woman uh, who has um, recently been married. When did you guys get married? So not too recent. Not too recent <laughs> not say, yeah, it's been like six years. Oh, congratulations. Six yeah, years. thanks. Well, you are you're in your youthful marriage, young marriage. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks. And you're doing really well in your career and you're giving 10% of your income. So what what excites you in the future for your financial goals, both for, I guess, personally and then also mm. for your charitable giving? That is a good question. I I don't know. To be honest, I I'm thinking, so I, we had a baby just this past year, so we have a nine month old and really as I'm thinking about finances, I'm thinking about it more through a family lens than ever before for obvious reasons. So as I think about our future, really it's how do we plan for, for her starting to save for college and thinking about how I'm going to teach her. It'll be kind of right. It'll be sort of fun. She's too young. She's not going to give to the Sierra club right now, but when the time comes, maybe she, is really into animal welfare, which honestly, I think it's good, but I don't feel passionately about it. And I don't give my money to the ASPCA or whatever, but maybe my daughter will really care about that. And then she'll dig into that. And that would be kind of unexpected, but cool and exciting. So I think that will be fun. Albeit she doesn't even know how to talk. Neither does she have any money. So TBD. But the fact that you're thinking about that means that you want to continue the incredible tradition that your parents gave for you by inspiring you not only to learn about money and the power of it, but also to give you that autonomy to choose the organizations that you feel passionate about, not just the ones that they do. So yeah, congratulations for so thinking thanks. that way. You're going <laughs> to, you. mean, your family tree, what you and your parents are your parents. And now you are going to do is incredible. It's very inspiring. So thank you. Well, thank you. I, 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 that really means a lot to me. So thank you. It's a, it's something, it's a topic that I feel really strongly about. So I'm really pleased to be able to speak with you about it today. Absolutely. Well, you and I had a great conversation when we were together in Orlando and uh, that inspired us getting together right now. So Allison, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Where can people follow you, learn more about you, connect with you, ask any questions? Sure. So is it weird if I give my email address on your podcast? Uh, it's not weird. If you me. want people to email you, that's cool. People can email me. I'm Go down. for it. Rock and roll. Okay. So, um, so if you want to actually just email me, you could do it. Uh, it's Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N at meet, M-E-E-T, fabric.com. Uh, and so I'm the editorial director at Fabric, where we're writing about personal finance and money and parenting and stuff like that. So I would be curious if you actually email me and tell me what kinds of articles you're curious to read. I would love that. If you want to then go read those articles, you can sign up for our newsletter. It's uh, meetfabric.com slash newsletter is our little sign up page slash blog. You can just read the existing articles. And you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook. No, I don't really have a public Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, his AMCade. Uh, and yeah, I would love to hear from you. If nothing else, I it's a it's a young publication, so I'm really hoping that we can start to build a vibrant community where we really get a feedback loop and start to hear voices who are really engaging and interacting with us. So, I mean. 
beware inbox. But yeah, I want to say you can email me. Excellent. Well, I, I, don't worry. My show's not gigantic, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Yeah. If you guys want to reach out to Allison, I'll put all that information in the show notes. Awesome. And uh, it sounds like your, uh, your environment, this online community you're creating is going to be all about giving and community and uh, Thanks. That's moving forward toward causes that you're interested in. So Allison, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm extremely inspired by this interview with Allison to increase my family's charitable giving. Last year, my family gave 1% of our income to charities. 1%. This year, we've upped our game thanks to inspiring interviews like this one and chats with people like Bill Dwight from famzoo.com. If you want to check out that interview, it's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 77. Yeah, wow, that's like 40 weeks ago, man. Time flies. <laughs> Our charitable giving now this year will be, drum roll please, 3% of our income. It's surely no 10% like my friend Allison today, but uh, we're working on it. And she's right. It is a lot of fun. We've got a great life. We're privileged. We're blessed. And giving back not only feels right, but it just feels, feels good, man. So here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Allison Cade. Number one, assess your own financial situation first. Before you get all inspired from this interview with Allison and start giving away all your money, make sure you're in a solid financial situation first. Are you currently paying high interest credit card debt each month? Do you not have an emergency fund? Are you maybe a step away from needing this charity yourself? You got to answer those questions before you before you move forward on upping your charitable giving. So take care of your high interest debt and you know have a 3 month emergency fund in place and then think about increasing your charitable giving. Number 2, ladder up your charitable giving. Okay, let's say you're nowhere near giving 10% of your income, but you're super inspired like I am to give more after this interview. That is awesome. So let's set a goal for increasing your charitable giving right now. Let's say you're giving 1% of your income right now and 2% sounds like a reasonable goal to shoot for. Excellent. Or let's say you're giving that 1% and you're thinking, man, 5% is feasible. I've, I've got some room. I'm doing well. That is awesome. Way to go, you big giver. We, we need more people like you in this world. Allison did the same thing. She went from 10% of her disposable income and then eventually up to 10% of her actual income. The key piece of advice to this whole puzzle, though, as Allison said, is to just start. All right, number three, give toward your passion. Is there a cause you care about passionately or something that bothers you that you don't see any movement on in this world? I'm going to go Gandhi on you here and tell you all to be the change you want to see in this world. And I'm speaking to myself too. I'm going from 1% to 3% and I'm hoping to, you know, up that next year as well. So I want to be the change that I want to see in this world. And that's why charitable giving is so much fun. You are are the reason change will happen. You are the giver that is going to affect change in your neighborhood or your society or your country. Think about what you're passionate about and investigate the right charities for you that you get all filled up and excited about. Ask a friend or or check out Charity Navigator. Do some Googling and find out 
you know, the things that you're passionate about, what charities are out there that will support those causes. You'll be surprised at what you find on that there internet, everybody. <laughs> but truthfully, this little experiment may change your life for the better. Giving is inspiring. It's infectious. You will inspire other people to give. It opens your heart. It really helps you to find your true passion. So those were my top three takeaways. Number one, assess your own financial situation first. Number two, ladder up your charitable giving. And number three, give toward your passion. As you can tell, this topic gets me a little jacked up. (laughs) This is a big deal, though. Once we create financial freedom for ourselves, it feels incredible to give back to those in need. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Hillary from Houston, Texas called in to share a huge marital money win. Take it away, Hillary. Hi, Andy. It's Hillary from Houston. I was calling to give you a recent money win. And that has been that my husband and I, in 2018, we got married, we cash flowed a honeymoon, we bought a home, and we did some minor renovations on it. So it's been an expensive year. But in the last few months of 2018, we got really serious about being intentional with our money, setting a budget we were happy with. And we have decided that we are only going to live on my husband's salary and we are going to throw my entire salary towards debt. We have two car loans. And so we are going to be, um, well, actually we already have December, 2018 was our first month of my entire paycheck going every dollar towards our car notes and we should be able to pay them off by July of 2019. So we haven't squashed all of our debt yet, but we're super motivated. We have a great plan and we're so excited and ready to be debt-free except for the mortgage, but we bought within our means for the mortgage and we actually could be able to pay off our mortgage in about four years. So that will be our next goal after the car loans. Thanks so much for all of your encouragement, Andy. We're so appreciative and have a great day. When I got this voicemail, it just made my day. Hillary and her husband have set some massive goals for themselves, and they followed it up with massive action. If you're not used to living on one income, it can be quite difficult to make that transition. So I'm a steps guy, as you guys know, the one, two, three steps. So based on Hillary's voicemail, here are the three steps they took to do this. Number one, they realized they needed a change. You heard her. They spent a boatload of money, had a lot of fun, and then realized, hey, it's time to make a change. And then the second thing they did is they developed a budget together. They reviewed the numbers. They took stock of what was coming in and what was going out. They crafted a plan. And then they said, let's do this. Let's, let's get this on. And then the third thing they did is they grew the gap. Since they are now living on her husband's salary only, they must have grown the gap between their income and their expenses to make this a reality. So they either reduce their expenses, spending less on little things that they don't need or or reevaluating their housing situation or transportation situation, or they grew their income. They kicked butt at work and you know, uh, made more money or got a side gig or something like that to, to grow that gap in order to create that space. So either way, way to go, Hillary. Very cool. And now they are looking forward to becoming car debt free. And in the future, 
mortgage free. <laughs> I can't wait to hear where this couple goes. Hillary, please make sure to keep in touch with me as I really want to hear what you guys do next year. Hillary, thank you so much for sharing this incredible marital decision and congratulations for being our money master of the week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show? You got to reach out to me at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. The voicemails are great because you can hear the joy in Hillary's voice. Like, you know, she's like, I'm all geeked up to do this thing, Andy. I would love to hear that same message from you. And again, if you guys want to go anonymous, like your name might actually be Hillary and you want to call me and say, Hey, my name is Mary Joe. That's cool. I don't care. Just call me and say, Hey, I'm whoever from wherever. And just share this great news with us because these stories inspire people. They inspire me. They make me smile. So thank you. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 114. Everybody, we've got one more week to go in December, and I want to encourage you all to join me for Big Tip Tuesday. Yes, hashtag Big Tip Tuesday. As a reminder, my wife and I are giving away $100 tips to our hardworking neighbors in the service industry this holiday season. Think waitresses, uh, waiters, barbers, fast food workers, cashiers. These are the people who are working hard during the holiday season to pay off debt, to make ends meet, and a lot of them don't make more than like $20,000 a year. So, But these people are serving us. They're giving us great food. They're giving us great service. They're helping us get our hair done, you know, giving us food. I think I already said that. I must I must be hungry. Anyway, we want you guys to join in on the fun. We have set a goal for $1,000 of big tips given out in the month of December. Right now, we are at $800 committed from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community, and we need you to join in the fun to help us hit that goal. Yes, you, the person listening to this right now, you. <laughs> Who is in? You got to contact me at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or again, the voicemail, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Share with me that you are in, how you're going to do it, who you're going to give it to, and or, or how it all went for that matter. And I want to share this inspiration in the first of the year, just letting everybody know who joined in and how it all got done because, man, giving is is a lot of fun. I gave $100 to my favorite Subway sandwich artist a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome. Her face lit up. She had a really bad day the day prior when I was there. There was one of her coworkers had uh, not shown up for work, and the line was really long, and you can tell that it was a rough time for her, but she, she kept it up like a champ, got all the sandwiches done, checked everybody out with a smile, and that's why I wanted to come back and just say, hey, I, I appreciated that. I saw your hard work, and I wanted to give you a gift and say thank you. And thanks for making the great food when I come by. And her face lit up, man. It, it made my day and it, and it made her day too. So I promise you, if you guys do this with me, you'll have a lot of fun too. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Bob Hope. My idea of Christmas, whether old-fashioned or modern, is very simple. Loving others. Come to think of it, why do we have to wait for Christmas to do that? Your generosity will make the world a better place for everyone. Carpe diem! 